Um, thank you for attending the Markets of Spaces today. Just a reminder before we begin, this material is presented solely for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be construed as a recommendation, solicitation, or an offer to buy or sell, long or short, any securities, commodities, or related financial instruments. Please contact a licensed professional before making any investment or trading decisions. All right, he requested. Add a speaker, got you. Um, and now I will introduce our guests. We have Blake Murrow. Blake is the co-founder of Forex Analytics. Blake spent most of his professional career as the chief currency strategist for Wise Trade Group for 15 years, then senior currency strategist for Ally Financial after the acquisition of Trade King, which owned the Wise Trade Group. He is a co-owner of a Dallas-based brokerage firm and Liquid Trader Technologies and has been trading the markets for over 25 years. His company, Forex Analytics, aims to educate and build a community of successful traders around the globe. And next we have, I added you as a speaker, uh, Stelios, I see your request, I added you. Um, then we have Stelios, which is still trying to get up here. Uh, yes, all right. All right. And then just mute yourself when um, you're not talking so that we don't get um, feedback. Um, Stelios is co-founder and chief macro analyst, analyst for Forex Analytics. He has an IT background, but switched to trading and was a market maker for 10 years at Barclays and B of A in London. His trading decisions are driven mostly by fundamentals using technical analysis for entry and exit points. And last but not least, we have Ryan Littlestone. Ryan is the founder of Forex Flow Live, and has, which has merged with Forex Analytics team. Ryan has over 30 years experience starting his career in dealing LME warrants and trading in the pits at Life as a local. He still trades his own account, and he is the host of the popular flow show in the European hours, prepping traders on the day ahead in the markets. And with that, we're going to do this how we did it last time, just as a round table. So I'm going to throw questions out there and then you guys can answer at your will. And we can make this as, you know, round table as we would like. So, but we'll start with Blake, just well, I have to start with somebody. So we'll start with Blake. Um, so last time we talked, everyone was laser focused on like, yeah, and that's all anybody could talk about. So what are traders particularly watching now? Well, actually, I think the yen is going to come back into focus. Um, you know, we spent most of 2023 expecting um, the Bank of Japan to eventually uh, normalize to a certain extent, uh, rates and for, for the very first time in 20 some odd years of, uh, you know, move rates, start to move rates higher as they've been dealing with, you know, this deflationary, you know, spiral for, for, you know, 20 plus odd years. So uh, most, most traders, myself included, were expecting the BOJ to eventually start to tinker with yield curve control, which they've done, but very, very lightly. And, um, you know, Ryan will probably add a little bit of color into this in, in a bit, but, um, I think that the BOJ is still going to be in in um, in you know in focus this this year, uh, as we see. And you know, you saw the US CPI data came in you know, stronger than expected yesterday. Um, I think what Japan has been most worried about is that these this inflation airy pressures that you've seen in China, you've seen around the globe. You know, you, you even see it like in the UK as they they put out their uh, inflation data this morning. Um, they're, they're fearful that these pressures are going to push Japan back into uh, deflation, if you will. Um, and, and, and so they've been very reluctant to move. But I think that their time is running out. They're gonna have to, they're gonna have to make a move to try to normalize policy sometime this year, uh, more, more than likely here in the next couple of months. And I think the yen is gonna be in focus. The other thing that's been in focus is the dollar. Uh, the, we came into uh, 2024, everybody was extremely bearish the dollar and extremely bullish precious metals. And we've seen this, uh, we've seen this, um, you know, uh, trend reverse dramatically since the beginning of the year, the dollar has been literally on a rampage up almost 
Well, I'll just look at a weekly chart just, you know, just for for uh, for all intents and purposes. We've been, basically been up six weeks in a row and we are into the sixth week of 2024. So everybody came into the beginning of this year, really bearish the dollar. Euro's going to hell. Euro's going to rip back up to 120. Dollar's going to hell in a handbasket. Too much fiscal spending, deficit, you know, and, and, and blah, 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 blah. And then here goes the dollar up in everybody's face. And that's with stocks at all-time highs. So I think the dollar really needs to remain in focus uh, moving forward. So the dollar, the yen, that's going to be a real big focus going into, um, you know, at least the second quarter of this year. And Ryan, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, Not a lot. I I agree with what Blake's saying there. The the only worry I've got about the yen is that if anyone's expecting, uh, you know, huge yen gains to come, um, over the change in policy, they might be disappointed um, just because how unhawkish they will be when they tighten policy. Um, you know, I think we had a lot of the move uh, late last year, early this year, when the market was getting ready for it. So it might be a case of, uh, you know, the old buy the rumour, sell the fact type when they do start changing policy. And if that's the case uh, and the dollar remains strong, any dip you get in dollar yen could be uh, picked up pretty quickly and then we might motor on to new highs. Excellent. Thank you. And so since we brought, brought up China, let's talk about, um, you know, do you think there will be a BRICS currency? And if so, what does this mean for the U.S. dollar? Or do you think it's kind of an, an impossibility? Oh, right. You want to take that one? Yeah, that's uh, oh, that's a hard question. It, it depends. Um, a BRICS currency, they, they're going to have to pick one or the other, um, whether they uh, go with something... I don't know, you know, because China's trying to heavily influence markets now, commerce with uh, the yuan. Um, it's, oh, yeah, BRICS currency. That's, a, that's quite a tough one. I, I, it's hard to see it get off the ground um, because everyone is so dollar-focused. Um, but, you know, you can never say never with these things. But have they got the weight to do it? That's another thing. They can always trade amongst themselves, of course. Um but yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting one to use. But and as I said, we know the one is becoming more widespread. Russia's using it, India's using it, uh, most of the the, the the bricks are using it anyway. So I think that's probably going to be the bigger focus um, for the rest of this year. You know, the problems going on in China domestically and internationally, um, and that that geopolitical side of things is is going to continue. I think. You know, and I and I and I want. Oh, go ahead, Stelios. I was just going to add, um, there's been talk about this for a while and, you know, people talking about the end of the dollar being the uh, reserve currency. I think that's that's a very low priority, uh, probability event. Uh, and, you know, still the dollar counts for what percentage of, of global transaction? I mean, it's a huge percentage and it's... Uh, um, I think it's going to be difficult to replace that, even though there are a lot of people who are advocating for that. Um, but... Um, yeah, you never know. And China, like Ryan said, they want to be, you know, the big player in, in the world. And they, they are, they are, they have been over the past 20 years um, gaining in, in strength and in, the, in their economy, uh, the size of their economy. So it's not um, improbable, but I think it's not, uh, it's not, uh, sorry, it's not probable, but uh, it's definitely a possibility. And, and I want to I want to add to that, Stelios. Um, just just so everybody uh, has a has a gauge of uh, where where the dollar stands. Um, dollars re, you know account for about sixty percent um, of all reserves, and you know we're going to have to have a really big misstep in the U.S. Now I know a lot of you are going to immediately you know uh, respond in your head. Uh, oh, but look look what the U.S. is doing from um, you know fiscal deficit spending point of view. And and you're not wrong, but it's not just the US. It's, you know, the rest of the world is is kind of in lockstep. So the, the if there's a big misstep, it could accelerate um, that that idea or that talk. But I do think that we're going to see dollar reserves um, you know, you're going to see the, see that lesson over time and that's I think going to be a more of a natural progression over time. I I also want to make sure I point out that this was a big push back in, I want to say around 2005 to 2008. Uh, You had um, a lot of the Middle East, a lot of Russia trying to move away from dollars. They're trying to, you know, trade amongst themselves. What happened when 
you know, the tide came out, we had a financial crisis, the GFC, if a lot of you like to, to reference it as, you had the GFC, you had everybody moving away from dollars, everybody got caught. When the tide came out, we saw a bunch of, bunch of countries standing around with their, their shorts around their ankles. And that's where you're, you know, if you guys follow the dollar milkshake theory, that's where the dollar really, you know, came in and, and it was in fuego as there was a dollar shortage. So I think central banks try to move away from the dollar as much as they can. But if we get into a situation where, where, um, you know, there's some sort of panic and rush for dollars, you're going to see the dollar just because we're in a dollar denominated system. You're going to see the dollar just, you know, a rip back higher as everybody tries to pile back in as we have liquidity issues. So. Do you think that, you know, I mean, I think everybody was very bearish the dollar because they thought that the Fed was going to start cutting rates immediately. Right. And then that's kind of a repriced a little bit further out. Um, do you think the dollar can remain strong even if the Fed cuts rates? Or do you think that's going to be a very big negative on it? Uh, I'm going to I want to tackle this because I want to pass it over to Ryan as soon as I do. Um, uh, dollar exceptionalism was a thing in 2023, and uh, we kind of lost that at the end of 2023, where people are like, oh, you know, this is where, you know, the U.S. economy starts to falter and blah, 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 blah. But I, I think those of us at Forex Analytics, and again, I'm going to pass this over to Ryan, because um, he's talked a lot about it over the last couple of weeks. There is going to be a, a, a synchronization among central banks cutting rates. You know, do, is there other are there other central banks that are going to cut before the Fed? I do believe so. I think Ryan probably believes so. Um, but Ryan, do you want to expand on that? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's in terms of the Fed. You know, we had a ridiculous uh, dovish extreme pricing coming into the end of the year, um, and it's that's all washed out since. Even from the CPI report, you know, we we started off, um, you know, expecting March cuts that got scrubbed, then May cuts, and then. Yesterday, June cuts got scrubbed for July. So the market is, is bringing their expectations more in line with the Fed now. Um, we're pricing under 100 basis points of cuts for this year. Um, we know the Fed are set at three cuts this year. Um, so things are coming more in line. And, and that's what you get with the uh, market. They, they always go to the extreme level. And uh, markets like to get far more dovish than they do hawkish. Uh, but can can the US sustain a strong dollar uh, or can the dollar sustain strength through this? Yeah, they can um, because there's the divergence between what's going on elsewhere. You know, the, the US running at uh, decent positive growth. We've got Eurozone GDP for Q4 out this morning, flat, flat on the quarter, flat on the year. There's there's zero activity going on in Europe. Um, so, yeah, you've got that, that uh, economic divergence and that's going to favour the dollar. Um, and if they can engineer this soft landing or even a no landing um then the market's uh, gonna gonna pile into dollars because rates might stay that little bit higher you get the yield uh, and everyone else is doing doing worse um, but it's not it's not going to be a negative thing um but then the, the other thing to consider quickly is you know we're not looking at cutting rates because of economic weakness or problems uh, on the horizon shocks or anything like that at the moment they want to just get rates back to a, a normal level. So it's going to be, you know, 150, 300, uh, 200 basis points of cuts over whatever period. And then they'll settle at uh, three to four percent. So it's 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 why they're cutting that's important in this uh, equation. Because right now um, rates are considered to be too restrictive. Right, Ryan? Yeah. 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 They don't want to have rates sitting at five and a half percent or whatever for uh you know, the next four years, get them down. Then you're just managing the economy either side. Gets a bit hot, you raise them. Gets a bit cooler, you cut them. And you just sort of manage a, a middle-of-the-road type monetary policy. Um, and that's what they want to get to. So that's that's the end game for all this. And then let's talk about a little bit about, um, since I said we were going to discuss it, let's talk a little bit about yields, USD, and the market sort of relationship because kind of for a while there you know dollar strength meant that we kind of saw weakness in the markets but that correlation seems to have broken a little bit except well, except for yesterday but um so how is that relationship working right now 
So I can, uh, I can, still, I can yeah. start answering that if you want. Um, so the interesting thing is we live in, an, an, in a market which is very different to what it was 20 years ago. Uh, so I remember when I was trading in the early 2000s, um, it was a case of things are good um, because the economy is doing well, because the, the consumer demand is rising, so yields are rising, so stocks are rising. Um, it, it was kind of a, um, a, a relationship with, which held, but ever since 2002, but really 2008, and the GFC, um, the main driver, pretty much everything, has been um, the uh, the increase in the Fed's balance sheet, in all central banks' balance sheets, low rates, QE. So everything gets um, inflated up because there's simply more uh, money in the system. And um, we now have this perverse situation where we get good news and markets sell off. And you get bad news and it's like, oh my God, they're going to be cutting and doing more QE, so let's buy everything. So. In the short term, uh, this relationship holds, and we see this every time. You know, the CPI dropped by 3.4 to 3.1 and didn't drop to 2.9 as the markets expected, and it was mayhem. It was like, oh my God, sell everything because because what? Because the market, because the economy is doing better, or it, let's say the demand is still um, better than expected. Uh, it's it doesn't make much sense, but this is the main driver. And you know, for people who have been listening to us for years now, we've we've kept saying the main driver, not on a day-to-day -day basis, but you know, more medium term, is still yields, and that's that's really what's what's driving everything. And and you see, um, you know, I've I've given this example before in the past. Um, you see companies like Apple who are sitting on billions and billions of cash, and when rates were low, you know, three four years ago, they're still issuing bonds. Why? Because they can, you know, they raise debt at, at practically no, you know, at one or two percent. So why not do it? Um, so by that, um, from that, and it, given that the, the market's quite leveraged and, you know, there's a lot of debt out there, um, anything that's going to move yields is going to move equities, is going to move pretty much every market. And we saw that, uh, we saw that yesterday. And another thing, uh, well, I'm passing on the other guys, um, we talked about the dollar, we talked about debt. I have um, a fear about um, U.S. debt because the debt-to-GDP ratio is rising and has been rising a lot, and it's now over 120%. If people remember, uh, you know, I am Greek. Greece got uh, slapped uh, quite hard when we hit 120% years ago uh, by the uh, European Union, and um, now the U.S. is there. I'm not saying that other countries are doing a lot better, but you know the the UK, the eurozone, um, we're all below 100 uh, percent. China's below 100 percent, 70 odd, whatever it is. So they are faring better. And what worries me about the US is that the deficit does not look like it's going lower anytime soon. It's what it was two trillion last year. It's projected to be more than that this year. And I don't see how this ends without the Fed monetizing debt again, because and, I don't. And there is appetite uh, for all this debt that needs to be issued at rates which make sense. You know, the Fed cannot be, the, you know, the U.S. cannot be borrowing at, you know, five, six, seven percent in 10 years. They cannot be doing that in the long run. So something has to happen. And you, you have to also uh, keep in mind, uh, and I agree with everything Stelios is saying, is that, and, you know, one of the, one of the benefits, Tracy, is uh, Stelios, uh, Ryan and I, we work together. We talk about these these dollar issues and how to how to trade them every day in our community uh, over at Forex Analytics. And so I, I have the benefit of talking to these guys every day. But one of the big issues uh, that Stelios brings up is, 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 a, is, is a big one. Um, and, the, you know, the U.S. is held to a little bit different standard as the reserve currency. And so, you know, we always have to take then, that into account as well. But I agree, the, things are getting a little bit, you know, a little scary. And then we're heading into an election year where you have – I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see either one of our candidates, um, uh, you know, veer away from the path that we're on right now. And so that's, that's a, a scary thing moving forward. Ryan, you have, you have stuff you want to add to this too? Yeah, the, the, the U.S. debt problem, we all know it. It's the biggest financial global risk we face um, at the moment, uh, but it's the one that, uh, Everyone just pushes in the corner and hopes it never wakes up and they bury their head in the sand about it because if that, if that goes pop, then the, the world goes pop. So it's it's one of those uh, risks that's too big to fix. And, 
but big enough that uh, everyone has to ignore it. So what's the solution? They they will have to do the traditional thing, which is inflate the debt away. And so we continue what we've been seeing for the past 15 years, which, you I know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's uh, the wrong thing to do because I don't see any other solution. But uh, no, you may be right. But I think I think it's even too big to be fixed by that. Um, it's just it's a, it's been allowed to go on um, unless there's real structural reforms, financial structural reforms in the U.S., to get the debt down, um, it's just going to keep going and going and going and going. Um, will there be a day, day reckoning? Who, who knows? It, it's too scary a thought. And everyone knows that if that day reckoning comes, we're all screwed anyway. So, yeah, I think the problem's too big to fit. So they're just going to ignore it. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and I know a lot of us, uh, well, there's there's a good, uh, good portion of our listeners right now um, because, you know, Tracy's hosting and, and a lot of listeners, you know, tune in for, for her. Um, we, you know, those of us that live in the U.S. know that there's uh, a taxation issue, um, and it starts at the corporate level all the way down. It's 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 collections. That's that's the big issue. You know, is is it's not you know the money that the U.S. makes. It's not you know it's it's not so much even on an individual level. It's more at the corporate level that really needs to be fixed. And uh, you know, you can see by the 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 valuations in our stock market. How it really benefits, um, you know, corporate America, and that the structurally needs to change. And, and I think you guys are right. There's no real appetite uh, to change that, and that is a big looming issue here in the U.S. And that, uh, and on, so on that uplifting note, um, so <laughs> just gonna hope to keep this train going, right? Is that, is that what we're saying? <laughs> That's yeah. right. Bring back the punch bowl, you know, and make sure it's got jungle juice and uh, and, and good vodka in it. Yeah, please. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so, with um, you know, with increasing interconnectedness of the global financial markets, how you know what are some of the systemic risks inherent in the foreign exchange markets? How can these be identified and mitigated? If possible, um, Ryan, do you mind? I'm gonna I'm gonna start. I just want to start uh, talking of, about a little bit of this, and I'm gonna pass it on to you because, you know, one of the things about trading in the the currency market, it's the largest market in the world, and uh, we have the benefit. Ben, we we are we have the benefit. Excuse me, of kind of seeing things um, and kind of clues uh, ahead of the rest of the world in different markets. And the reason why that is, is because people tend to move their money first. So when you see certain things happen in currencies, whether it's an underperformance of emerging market carry interest currencies not performing, or you see, you know, um, you know, the, the dollar perk up against certain currencies, or you see the dollar sell off against certain currencies, it kind of clues us in uh, to give us, you know, an idea, we, hey, we need to start looking around at different markets, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's the, the, the equity markets, whether it's precious metals, whether it's certain commodities. So that's one of the benefits that we have as currency traders and analysts is we can we can really look around and kind of see the see the issues percolating a little bit before they happen. So, um, you know, uh, but how do you how do you mitigate like some systemic risk in the market? It's I think it's really hard to do because, you know, when as we remember in, in the financial crisis, when there was a rush for dollars, when there was a dollar liquidity issue, uh, because we are in a dollar denominated system, whether you like it or not. That's just how most countries settle um, when the dollar comes under uh, upside pressure and, uh, and 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 strong demand. It's hard to contain. Um, Ryan, what would you like to add to that? Um, yeah, it's it, you're right. And as for systemic risks and how do you mitigate them? Well, we've just spent the last 15, 16 years trying to build enough defences to uh, so that we don't have systemic risks. Um, you know, we had the uh, SVB and all the regional banking problems uh, last year. Everyone thinking, here we go again, systemic risk. But the Fed stepped in, the regulator stepped in. And it was it was contained pretty quickly. And that's what all these rules and regulations that have been put in place over the last few years um, are there for. So, yeah, you could say it's always the uh, always the monster you don't see that comes and uh, kicks you up the arse. 
But, in you know, we've now got this uh, commercial real estate problem rearing its head. Um, we heard it in uh, the US. Yeah, then all of a sudden she's been talking pretty rosy about the US economy. And all of a sudden she's talking about problems in the, the commercial real estate market. And we had that, obviously, New York banking court problem going on. Then that spread. We've had the ECB coming out and saying, if you don't manage your commercial property risk, we're going to raise capital standards. So you're going to have to hold more in reserve for that risk. Excuse me. So, yeah, it, I don't I don't see anything big on the horizon. Debt, be it US, Europe, UK, whatever country is always floating about as a potential risk. Um, but I don't I don't see any reason why these risks aren't mitigated um, by the defences that uh, governments, regulators, central banks have put in place now. Same in China. When the China property stuff first started blowing up, everyone was going, here we go. It's going to be a big contagion to the rest of the world. But this is China. They wrapped it all up in uh, in, in Cottonwall and uh, it's still going, but uh, they, they've got the tools there to say, well, we're not going to let it go pop and we're not going to let it affect everywhere else. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> it, we should be living in a better world now. But as I say, it's always the the unforeseen you don't see that uh, tends to bite you in the butt. Absolutely. I mean, I, Russia, I want to go back to like, bricks are just Russia for, for a minute here. Russia's expanding their payment system. It's called the System for Transfer of Financial Messages. It's, it's outside of SWIFT. Obviously, they're trying to grow this after, since we kicked them out of SWIFT um, even more. And they have a lot of countries that have signed up for this. So what does this mean for the FX markets at all, if at all? And does this change the dynamic of the, the, the FX markets? Uh, Stelius, you want to take this one? I mean, I, I, Stelius is, uh, you know, traded for uh, a big bank for many a dozen years. Um, maybe you have some better answers than I would. Uh, well, I think the, the quick answer is I don't think anything changes yet. Um, and, um, you know, Russia's uh, trying to effectively bypass SWIFT and, you know, trade with other countries uh, in, using their own systems. I don't think this is going to be an issue, um, at least not, uh, not, not in the near future. I mean, obviously, when you get... Um, Big countries, uh, you know, brick countries, uh, BRICS countries, sorry, involved uh, that can uh, grow and become something um, uh, significant. But I don't think that is going to be something that's going to affect the FX markets uh, uh, yet. And by yet, I mean, you know, the next few years after that, obviously, who knows? But, uh, you know, I have this view about um, currencies in general, about the dollar, about yields, but I don't think that. Um, uh, the BRICS countries are going to, uh, you know, be a, a major factor in terms of how things work at the moment, how things are transacted, you know, the dollar, the yen, the euro, etc. So the, my quick answer is uh, nothing to be um, wary of yet. And I don't think there's going to be any kind of immediate uh, uh, effect. I don't know if you guys disagree, but, uh, you know, a lot of people out there on YouTube and everywhere saying, oh, my God, this is the end. Uh, forget about the dollar. This is going to be the way forward. Yeah, I think we're a long way from that. Uh, maybe I'm just too uh, cynical. Yeah, I think I think Tracy, you know, you know a lot about this. Uh, you know, the antics Russia's getting up to. They're they're backdooring a lot of their oil uh, through to China uh, and elsewhere. So they're they're getting round the payment system uh, situation. And as we've seen, the sanctions and everything that that's been put on by the West haven't quite had the effect that they were intended. Uh, Russia's still carrying on. It's still, uh, you know, producing, still got good GDP, although uh, war is always good for GDP numbers. Um, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's it's still life as usual going on over there with uh, one of their main exports uh, being oil. So, you know, I maybe ping the question back to you. Do you see any way where um, Russia gets stopped from, from sending oil elsewhere? No. <laughs> you, there's always the way around sanctions and we know this because we've had sanctions on Iran on and off for decades so yeah. <laughs> and there's just there's always a way around sanctions and so um, you know 
whether that's, you know, it, with Iran, for example, you know, they were trading for oil for gold for a little bit there. They were trade. So there's always, you know, there's always way, you know, and even if you look at China, for example, who doesn't believe in uh, unilateral sanctions, they're going to buy from Russia and they're going to buy from Iran and they're going to buy from Venezuela. So you can always find and that it's got to be paid for in cash in whatever currency. So, you know, the FX impact, as Del said, is, is negligible because they're going to do it anyway. Uh, absolutely. So what what do you guys think, you know, if we are talking about the dollar strength and that continues, what does this mean for, you know, emerging markets that, you know, have a lot of dollar-denominated debt? Um, uh, means, uh, <laughs> they're going to be uh, under the cosh again. Um, you know, whenever there's whenever there's stresses like this, again, as Blake said, you know, the the, the dollar liquidity issues uh, come into play. Um, so yeah, their, their debt is is you know it's going to be harder for them to service it, um, particularly in the, with the interest rate environment going on. Um, but uh, you know, some, I saw someone on Twitter pointing out today that the three major economies in Asia at the moment. Um, India, China, and Japan are all in one way, shape, or form managing their currencies. Uh, China's actively intervening, India's actively intervening. Uh, Japan is always on the edge of intervening. So, you know, th these FX issues are already ongoing, and there's, there's others that uh, continue to intervene. Um, and the US is aware of that because they have to be. Um, you know, they have to look after themselves, of course, but they are obviously being the power they are, do have to hold some responsibility. And they, they know that to what goes on in the globe uh, with regards to the dollar. So the US won't want huge dollar strength coming in. Um, so if, if things really do start taking off, you'll get comments from Yellen or whoever's treasurer, treasury at the time um, that dollar strength uh, is going to be watched closely to make sure it doesn't get to... Uh, too much of a risk for other countries. Uh, again, you know, we talk about systemic risk. That that's something they will have their eye on if uh, the dollar really takes off. And, and, and it's I not uh, oh, sorry, sorry to interject. It's not no. just the U.S. The whole world cannot afford to have a strong dollar for too long. You know, there's so much USD denominated debt, emerging markets. You know, and all over the place. And and you know, when the dollar strengthens, it becomes a lot harder to service this debt. And uh, the world knows it. And of course, the U.S. doesn't want a very strong dollar for too long, uh, you know, so that they can have, uh, you know, their exports can be more affordable, etc. So there's it's a balance and the system kind of stabilizes itself. And Ryan very correctly said, you know, when things go one way too far fast, uh, you can bet that central bankers are going to be on the wires talking about it, trying to, um, you know, do the talk without actually doing anything else. <laughs> And, and, you know, I just I want to add that if you guys don't think um, that central bankers talk, they do. And uh, it was a really, really interesting um, interview with, um, uh, you know, the BOJ uh, did uh, did a panel with uh, Powell, Lagarde and Bailey. Um, I think that was the, the, the four of them. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and they openly discussed how they how they talk about monetary policy amongst each other because they have to. It's it's a, it is a coordinated effort. You can't let the dollar get away, come out of its shoes. It, it can because we we saw it during the GFC. All you have to do is just take a look at a dollar chart and go look at 2008, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, that they they're going to try to contain that as 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 much as possible through intervention efforts and monetary policy and then i have a question i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this but you know a lot of people are saying you know it doesn't really matter about the petrodollar anymore for usd it's really about the euro dollar market not the euro dollar but the <laughs> euro dollar market the, the, <laughs> I mean, maybe if you want to explain what the euro dollar market is in case people don't understand the difference between the euro and the euro <laughs> That's uh, Stelios's um, uh, baby. So, Stelios, you want to explain what the euro dollar is and was? Well, when we talk about what um, dollars traded overseas, you mean, or or what? Yes. Okay. Well, it's as simple as that. So, uh, 
you know, the, so the, the, the petrodollar is something that I think is going to be there uh, in our lifetime, in my lifetime. I don't think that's going to be changing. Uh, so, um, but uh, what else, sorry, what else was the question? I didn't... Uh... Really, I just want maybe explain, you know, the difference between the euro, the euro dollar. How big is this market? And um, is this a main driver of uh, U.S. being a reserve currency because it's, you know, s such a big market? <clears throat> yeah, so, so, so the euro dollar market is basically dollar denominated uh, deposits at, uh, at, at banks or financial institutions outside the U.S. And it is, it is a, a, you know, very big market. I, I don't actually remember off the top of my head uh, it's it's actually its size, but uh, uh, it is um, it is just that. So offshore dollars and um, and I, you know, sorry, were you going to say something? Like uh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, and that's the difference between like when we we talk about uh, the euro, um, the euro currency is the regional currency for the eurozone and it's the, the members, and the euro dollar uh, is reference to the dollar denominated debt that's ha held outside of the U.S. Um, out of the U.S. banking system, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I just didn't know if you had any strong thoughts of one way or another, because I um, there's been a lot of debate whether <clears throat> the petrodollar even matters anymore because the euro dollar market is so big. And that's really what's driving USD rather than, say, the oil markets anymore. Yeah, I think but, that's a, a fair fair point to say um you know it has become such a huge market um yeah it's it's one of these things that just grows and grows you know it's like you, got, you had the petro dollar we've had other uh, fx if, uh, uh, also i don't know what the hell should we call that acronyms or whatever uh, descriptions for how the dollar works and other things um but yeah you, you know again it's it's all about the world is as much smaller place now than it used to be um, everything's so interconnected and, and the euro dollar just sort of brings everything together that, uh, you know, as you said, if, you, if you've got dollar debt outside of the US, this is where it's all uh, seen, this is where it's all traded, this is where the, the rates of it are traded. Um, and so it, it has a it has a big knock on to everything else. So it is, it's almost like the, the market centre point for the dollar uh, in the world in one aspect. Who, who, who recently said it? And I, and I, and I'm, 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 paraphrasing uh you know you get the dollar right you're going to get the market right and that's uh i forget who, who famously said that uh as of late but that's a that's a pretty true statement if you if you can figure out the dollar you can you know pretty much navigate yourself through the rest of the markets and uh that's one of our primary focuses at forex analytics is just you know focusing on what the dollar is doing uh but trading derivatives off of that um because there's so much opportunity in, in these markets and uh, I think what makes the currency market most explosive and will be continue for, for years to come is the divergence between central banks and uh, monetary policies and how they have to navigate based on their individual um, you know, needs uh, of their countries, re their respective countries, where, you know, you, you, one of the things I hated saying about eight, eight, nine years ago, but those long-term listeners of our, our shows, um, they, they always heard me say this, look, we're, you know, every central bank's going to zero um, nominally, you know, we're, every central bank's going to go to zero. We're going to live in a zero, zero, uh, zero interest world. And that happened. And when that happened, the, the FX market basically died for several years. Um, but now that we're out of that global regime and we have higher rates globally, and those are shifting from one country to another, again, based on needs and, you know, of, of each individual country brings on a lot of opportunity in the markets. Um, so the FX market is going to be the world's playground in, 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 in trading vehicles for years to come. And for people that don't really understand how big this market is, because I was talking to you guys on DM yesterday and it blew my mind. I want to kind of uh, talk a little bit about how big, how much is traded daily? Tra trades like... Five hundred rupees uh, uh, annually. Um, you know, I think well, that's what it was, Ryan. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. Uh, no, it's just. I, I, I think the BIS uh, BIS report for twenty twenty two was seven and a half trillion per day, yeah. or something like that, or seven or yeah, eight trillion. trillion. 
Yeah, which is more than that now. Which is probably not, yeah, which is just huge. It was mind-blowing to me. Um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit because we have a lot of geopolitical issues going on right now, a lot of global trade tensions right now, a lot of, uh, we're seeing some protectionist measures elsewhere. So how does these, all of these kind of impact currency valuations and exchange rate volatility? What, did you say protectionist measures? <laughs> Lady, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait for the next four years. <laughs> you haven't seen nothing. Yeah, if, uh, if the Trump comes back in, then uh, yeah, there'll be you a few uh, quiet lit, no doubt. You ain't seen um, nothing yet. Yeah, it, you know, the, probably the biggest one that we've got going on at the moment is obviously what's happening with China uh, and the US, you know, trying to uh, digging their fingers into a lot of pies the US are, are against, you know, Ukraine war, Taiwan. South Korea, you know, what's going on in the Red Sea, Iran, all that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the difference with um, China is, is that they, as I've said, they've been managing their currency. Um, they'll happily intervene on both sides. Um, they've got the, the tools to do so. They've got the, the might to do so. So they want to keep their currency stable. And, and this is one of the reasons why I like trading dollar China, because they are very clear with what their currency does. So if they want it to weaken, they'll say, you know, we're happy to let it weaken. Um, and then you can you can trade along with that um, because you'll get a very clear message when it's gone far enough. Um, they'll come out and be quite blatant and say, uh, you know, we're not going to allow any more weakness or strength or whatever. And uh, if you've been trading that way, you can you get plenty of time to get out and maybe go the other way. Um, but all these... You know, we live in troubled times, and we can say that for, for many a year. Um, they all bubble under the surface. Um, it, when it impacts things like trade, that's when FX markets take a bit more notice um, because, you know, that's obviously the, the commerce side of things and it affects GDP and everything. Um, but again, everything that's going on at the moment, um, you know, we're in the middle of the war with Ukraine and everyone just goes about their business and markets don't really care anymore. Um the same with, with the Red Sea stuff, you know, oil, you would have thought with all that kicking off over there, oil would be much higher, but it's not um, because you've got two forces at play. We've got the, the demand side uh, with manufacturing looking weak globally. Um, and then you've got this risks side where oil should be higher. And meanwhile, it's still languishing, you know, 70, 75, 80 bucks and not doing anything. And so that knock on effect is the same for FX markets because there's no material big price move risk in in commodities you're not going to get the big price move risk in fx as well because they all follow each other and uh, you know big moves in one leads to big moves in the other like the aussie dollar for example um, everything going on with china um, so yeah it's it's all intertwined there are risks out there the market does have a a, a, a high goldfish mentality about things as well we will trade something for five minutes Forget about it. The next, as I say, like the Russian war. Um, so it, it, it comes and goes when when markets want to start trading any particular risk event. Yeah, did, didn't we just have jobs data yesterday? Uh, or was it manu manufacturing data in the U.S. Uh, yesterday, I can't remember. No, see, uh, me, me neither. I mean, what happened yesterday? I don't even know. I'm just, I'm focused on what's happening. I'm like, I can't tell if you're like. I'm being sarcastic, but that's the problem with. I, that's the problem what with I was like, traders. what? Currency traders are they're like, what inflation data? Did that happen yesterday? I didn't even know that yeah, happened yesterday. Right. They're, it's they're, tomorrow. They're, we got they're to, on to the next. On to the next. Yeah, we, we got a couple of uh, manufacturing data points tomorrow. I think it's the Empire and Philly Trade. I was joking about that, guys. I was just totally being sarcastic. But, but, one step behind. <laughs> but, 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 but Ryan, you know, makes a great point. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're always, you know, shifting focus from one data point to the next and, and, and constantly on the move. And, and you're right. Uh, I think currency traders have a good onset of ADHD to a, to a certain extent. And they're like, what? I, I didn't even realize that we had uh, this, you know, blockbuster inflation print yesterday. <laughs> so we're, we're already moving on. Um, one of the other things you talk about protectionism, and I think that this is uh, this is a big deal. Uh, some of our, our our normal you know daily listeners that, that listen to our free shows every day uh, knew that like it was about three years ago I went and played golf with uh, 
with a guy that has a, a small, you know, a manufacturing company, um, and it was a, a semiconductor. He has 500 and so employees. He moved basically his operations from China to Mexico. Um, just uh, three years ago, he was in process. He had about another, you know, eight months to go to fully make that um, transition. Uh, Mexico has become U- U.S.'s largest trading partner. You know, there are some ramifications um, when you start talking about protectionism. Um, you know, China, what they're looking at and, and, and looking down the barrel of uh, India and, you know, uh, play, and, and different companies globally starting to look elsewhere, you know, whether it's Vietnam, Thailand, in, India, different parts of Asia, Korea. Uh, so, you know, you're going to see not only protectionism measures in the U.S., but but globally. And I think that's going to be it's, we're going to be in a period of deglobalization where we were in such a period of globalization, making the world a really small place. It's going to that's going to change. I think that's going to be a big shift we're going to see over the next five to 10 years, um, you know, not just in the U.S., but that's 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 uh, that's something that it's obviously going to uh, uh, the currency market's going to have its role in, the, in that in that game for sure. I was going to ask you what you know what as we kind of deglobalize, if you want to call call it that. You know what does that mean for markets in general? If not, you know, and, and the currency market. I mean, what do you? I don't. What, what do you think this? I guess that's all I have to ask. What do you What do you think Where this do you does think to markets in general? Right? Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's going to, and, and I, I'd like Stelius to jump in here and, 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 and chime in a little bit regarding this, but I do think that the, it's not going to change much of the role of the dollar. We, we've talked about other things that can shift the dollar. The dollar still is, you know, we're in, still in a dollar denominated system globally for the most part. So that is, that I don't think is really going to change. I think for, for, you know, equity markets, um, you're probably going to see less of uh less of, um, uh, you know, how we all move as one. It's, it's like, you know, oh, you know, risk on, you know, everybody screams risk on and all start all the, every, every, every boat kind of shifts in one direction and they all move up together. I think that you're going to see a lot of that shift. And, um, and we've, we've had this discussion a lot uh, because of other reasons, but, you know, we're going to be shifting to individual you know, like a lot of individual companies and who's, who's the beneficiary versus, you know, buying the entire index or selling the entire index. You're going to see individual names really, you know, become stellar growth drivers in, in certain pockets and, and, and vice versa. You're going to see uh, companies fail as a result. So. That would be a new dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to end up being a stock pickers market, which, um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about that over the last year, and that's that's probably where the market's going again. Guess what? If you guys are looking for a job as a stockbroker, like we used to have back in the '80s and '90s, those, those jobs might be a plenty instead of wealth advisors. <laughs> Stelius, what do you have to say about all that? I, I, I was just going to say, it's difficult to say what's going to happen as things get deglobalized. I don't like that word, but anyway, to to kind of try and understand what's going to happen, just go back 25 years and see what happened when things started getting, uh, you know, we had the global market and things were really, we're getting synergies all over the place. You got companies like Amazon, you know, becoming the biggest company in the world. I think that Blake is right. You know, you're going to have to, um, you, we're going to be seeing individual companies um, outperforming or underperforming uh, um, based on how things go in terms of, uh, you know, not, they're not being a big global market anymore. So it's very hard to say. I mean, I can't say how things are going to change. I definitely don't think the dollar is going to be affected much in any, any real significant way. Uh, but uh, it's going to be all about how uh, individual companies um you know, change the strategy and uh, their trading partners, etc., to uh, to adapt. But um, I still think the biggest driver for everything, of course, not from day, you know, from today to tomorrow or the next week. The biggest driver for everything is still yields, because yields have been the biggest driver for the past 15 years, uh, undoubtedly. And uh, of course, the the currencies will affect yields. Uh, everything, you know, cu- yields and currencies are interconnected. Um, and um, uh, but I think this is really the main driver for any significant uh, events. And, you know, we, we, we 
we've seen a 15-year um, run in yields lower. And uh, now as they are rising, uh, you know, we think we see things changing. Of course, equities are not really um, reacting yet to, to higher yields uh, in, in any significant way. And that's, that's actually quite surprising. But um, I think that's coming at some point. Uh, we have to have we have to see some kind of correction in equities. But again, unfortunately, because central banks, when things look rough and things start going, you know, to hell in a handbasket, central banks are going to step in. Uh, they're going to be buying everything that moves again. You know, the Fed has been buying not only government bonds; they've been buying mortgage-backed securities, everything. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, this is going to repeat. So, any significant dip that we see, just like we saw with COVID, is going to get bought up really quickly. And then, you know, we march to higher levels. And unfortunately, this is mathematics 101. You know, we can't avoid it. And that, I was going to ask you, do you think we go back to, you know, like uh, zero rates, NERP again? Or do you think um, we'll kind of be in an actual normal regime for a while here? It will depend on the severity of the eventual recession. I think eventually we're going to see a recession. They cannot abolish recessions, <laughs> uh, although they try. So it's going to depend on the severity. If we see something, uh, you know, strong, a strong recession, a deep recession, I think very easily could go back to zero. Uh, you, you, but- you obviously you obviously do not believe Janet Yellen when she says that she will not will never see a recession in her lifetime. <laughs> I do That's what believe- she famously said. I don't believe any politician or government person or, you know, um, but no, all jokes aside, this is the weapon that uh, central banks have. And when things start looking bad, especially, you know, if it happens, God forbid, on an election year, um, they're going to step in and throw everything they have at it. Uh, If that means taking rates down to zero, I think that's what they're going to do. What do I think the most likely scenario is? I think they're going to, I think we're not going to have a severe recession. I think rates are going to go down to something more normal, like two or three percent, uh, and then um, and then stay somewhere around there. But um, as I said before, central banks already—they have done this many many times in the past. They will not hesitate to do it again. Blake, your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm, yeah, dro- I'm, dro- I'm dropping the mic and passing it to uh, Ryan. <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. um, yeah I, I'll, I'll go. I'll go out on a bit of a limb. I'd say you know we're probably not going to see negative rates, maybe for the next 10, 15 years. I would say, unless of course we get any sort of big shock uh, like the COVID and the GFC. Um, the the reason being, yeah, we can get rates close to zero on economic weakness, um, but we've we've had a big long period of low rates uh, and now we you know everything goes in cycles rough you know eight 15 year cycles so yeah we're, we're probably in for having what we might start to be called normal rate environment um for a long period of time um yeah can they go close to zero yet well i think probably qe might pop up more than rates to zero or negative rates um, because they like doing that, and it's uh, they can keep rates where they are while they're doing that. Um, so yeah, if, if economies really suffer some steep recessions, then that's probably the route they'll take over cutting rates back to zero and going negative. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a long while before we even look to go that way again. And you see, I mean, we're in an election year right now. Obviously, we kind of have fiscal policy here in the U.S. butting heads with monetary policy, right? We have kind of Powell on one hand trying to, you know, raise rates and tighten things up. And you have Janet doing just the opposite. Um, so, you know, what are the implications of of this? I mean, do we hit, you know, or are we just at a... Standoff here, or <laughs> this one side gives. You, you've hit the nail on the head. It's an election year, so as far as the administration goes, anything goes. Um, you know, we, we had that story out yesterday after the CPI that uh, apparently the White House is all panicked now because you know it might be a case that CPI report means that Powell won't be able to cut rates, or he'll be cutting rates into an inflation uptick, which just shows you the level of. Uh, 
of expertise over there if they think any central bank will cut rates into higher inflation. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a big political football at the moment. Um, Biden wants to tell everyone that his inflation act's working and inflation's coming down. Um, you know, and we look at the prints. Inflation, if you look back at a chart of inflation, we came off those highs up 9%, 10%. Um, we bottomed out at 3% last June. We have not been below 3% or back to 3% since then. So we, we're coming on to, what, eight, uh, seven, eight months now um, where inflation hasn't gone lower. Um, now, people will point to the PCE and all that sort of stuff, but uh, I'm a bit old school, and all I see is a flat line going on in CPI around that 3 3.5% mark. So, yeah, they Biden would love to see a two-handle um, on CPI, lower two-handle on the PCE going into uh, towards the election period. Um, but yeah, whether they get it or not, that's a, that's another question. But it, it will be influencing, and then you'll get the questions: uh, Is Powell, you know, being influenced by politics? He had a closed-door meeting with the Democrats after the CPI report um, that's just sort of come out on the wires today. Um, and it's going to get uh, the political squawkers squawking. You know, what's going on? Is Powell in cahoots with uh, the administration? But, uh, yeah. Elections, we've got one here in the UK. Um, all bets are off. Uh, anything's fair game. Do you think that eventually, I mean, do you think central banks are going to have to accept a higher inflation rate, like, you know, 3% as the norm instead of trying to, get it to this arbitrary two number, which is an arbitrary number in it in and of itself. <laughs> well, they've already, they've already gone that way, right? Because it's no longer a target. It's, uh, how did they say it? It can be on either side, right? I can't remember exactly how they, they phrase it, but it's not a, oh, it has to be a 2%. It can be um, around, you know, uh, I, I forget how they said it. But anyway, I think that the short answer is yes, they will have to kind of accept a perhaps a slightly higher number for a little bit longer in case the the, the prospect is for that to eventually uh, to eventually drop and that's actually what they're showing us already because the fed remember they've changed over the past few months their rhetoric and they're telling us that there's going to be cuts while as Ryan said correctly inflation is still above 3%. Yes the the trajectory has been down from 10% down to the low threes but it's sticky for the past six or seven months. Uh, can it go lower? Of course it can. I personally think it actually probably will go towards 2%, and that will um, allow the Fed to be a little bit more at ease with uh, cutting. But, but as I said before, they've already talked about cutting with CPI at uh, 3%, over 3%. That will, would not have happened so easily in the past, I don't think. Uh, but I think they are, they have to be a little bit more flexible if that's if that's the right word for it. And if, if you go back to the, the uh, uh, Stelios' favourite word, deglobalisation, um, <laughs> you know, that, that has an inflationary impact as well. You know, I can jump on my phone here. In, in 30 seconds, I can buy a product for China, from China that gets delivered to me next week um, for peanuts. Um, if I want to, if, if that stops because I can't trade with China anymore, can't access their markets, and I'm having to buy it from the US or UK or Europe or whatever, it's going to cost me three, four, five times as much. Um, so you know that that is an inflationary impact. So the more everyone wants to deglobalize or decouple, however you want to call it, um, the greater the pressure is going to be on having to fill those gaps with the with the countries you're decoupling from, uh, and that's going to be at higher prices, unfortunately depending on where you go, and, and that then is your inflation pressure down the line. Absolutely. And we're coming up on the hour. I don't want to take too much more of your time. So really, um, I just want, you know, to give each one of you kind of some final thoughts. You can talk about something that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that you think we should, you know, should hit on really quickly and or you know what should we be really focused on over the next you know um six to 12 months in the currency markets and we'll start with um, Blake. <laughs> uh well I, okay I'll, I'll start i think uh i think um correlations are going to reassert themselves um we've seen the the dollar break away from from its normal 
quote unquote risk off type of correlation as it's rallied, you know, as, as uh, stocks have moved into all time high territory. I think you're going to be watching the dollar as more of a defensive tool um, in, in weeks and months ahead. I, you know, uh, and I, so in, 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 in with saying that, I, I do believe that equity markets are going to be under pressure from these levels. I think if you close your eyes and you reopen them, you know, two, three months from now, we're going to be, you know, lower than where we're at right now. And I think the dollar is going to be the beneficiary. And once again, um, central banks, not one size shoe fits all feet in monetary policy moving forward. So be, be on the lookout for a lot of volatility, um, you know, dollar uh, and U.S. exceptionalism, I think, is still a story and it's a valid one. And I think that um, monetary policy was, is going to shift. and It's going to be uh, less of a coordinated effort as, as, as people believe can be. You know, they're going to try to coordinate as much as possible. But I think that, that uh, those divergences between central banks are going to set up a lot of trading opportunities for us in, in the currency markets and markets in general. And Stereo, same same question. Yes, um, I think for the rest of this year, um, well, first of all, I was just going to say, I think the, the, the dollar is going to be super important. I always look at what the market's pricing. The market's currently pricing, Fed fund futures are pricing roughly what the Fed has told us they're going to do. So just over three cuts, I think, we're pricing. I think that's fair. And what do I think the risk from here is? Um, I think the risk is that we unwind some of this... Um, uh, no, I didn't. I don't want to express it this way. I think that we're probably going to be pricing a little bit more of cuts uh, in the next, let's say, couple of months. Uh, so that's why I think there might be um, uh, dollar weakness coming in. Uh, the other thing, I mean, and I'm talking about the next couple of months now. The other thing which I think will probably continue, even though it makes no sense, is equity values, equity prices indices are probably going to keep going for a bit more. There's a lot of um, short positioning. You know, hedge funds are very short. They keep they keep stopping stopping out all the time. Uh, I think, unfortunately, because it makes sense to be short equities, I think that's going to continue a little bit further. But we're going to be getting to a top at some point this year. Uh, and uh, the other thing which uh, I want to mention very briefly is gold. Uh, people talking about gold crashing and, oh, my God, it's incredible. Inflation is high. Things are getting more expensive. That means that gold has to get cheaper. I don't get that. But anyway, what I'm going to say is zoom out a little bit, go on a weekly chart and look at how well gold has done over the past two, two and a half years in the middle of all the rate hikes, in the middle of all the AQT. Uh, it's been doing supremely well. Obviously, it's not been doing as well as Bitcoin, but uh, that's a different story. Uh, I, I still like uh, gold, and I think we're going to break above the highs, especially if we do see a dollar pullback. Once a metal's bull, always a metal's bull. So hey, look is. at the last 30 years, man. They keep going up. What can I say? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, Brian, same question. Find some f final thoughts on what you're what you're looking at over the next you know, few months or so. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think uh, if we're going to get cut, central banks are, are going to be, I wouldn't say coordinated, but they're all going to go roughly the same time. I think the, the middle of the year, uh, June, July, maybe as late as August uh, is when we start seeing those if the data is going the right way for them or the wrong way, depending on what data it is, of course. I think for equity markets, I'm, I'm a bit cautious of how Q1 is going to turn out. Uh, we pretty much had a, a pretty decent Q4 earnings season. Um, there were a few wobbles in there. I haven't liked some of the forward guidance that we've got from some firms, um, you know, particularly in the tech sector, even in, uh, you know, Tesla and uh, the EV sector, signaling in that there's potential issues going on there, you know, not as, as much take up. So I think uh, earnings for Q1 might be disappointing, um, which will then maybe start to tip a few people more bearish on equities. Um, and I think um, economies as well. I think the US, we've been monitoring for the last few months uh, here at Forex Analytics, just the job loss numbers and headlines are just picking up uh, recently. They, they all started off in the hundreds here and there, a couple hundred here, a couple hundred there. But now we're hitting the, the thousands. Uh, I think it was uh, Continental losing uh, just over 7,000 jobs announced today. Um, it could all be part and parcel, natural job shedding, you know, Companies do good, they do worse, and they cut costs and when they need to. But 
when I see headlines coming in like this every day, every day, every day, and they're talking about losses more than gains, I just get a bit twitchy. The spider sense starts going. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a bit more weakness in the US jobs market. I'm not saying outright collapse, but just uh, things softening a bit more, this soft landing stuff uh, happening. So, yeah, that's my thoughts uh, for the next few months at least. Excellent. And once again, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners really appreciate it. Um, and I will see everybody next Wednesday for the Mic Drop Market Spaces. Everybody have a good day. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you next week. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, thanks Tracy. Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. And thanks for everybody listening in. Absolutely.